It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me, or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Jared, you talk about a fairly dismal short-term economic picture, particularly if you don't get the COVID relief plan, which raises a question a lot of critics are asking, why would President Biden be pushing a climate change agenda now? I want to put up a couple of the things that he did this week. He killed the Keystone Pipeline, which backers say will cost 11,000 jobs short-term. And he announced a moratorium on new oil and gas leases on public lands. Does it make sense to be killing jobs at a time when 18 million Americans are unemployed? So I definitely completely reject the framing of the question. You know, let me go back. It was a campaign line, but it was one that had real economic substance. Uh, this was when uh, uh, the president-elect at the time, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the vice president at the time was, was arguing that uh, when, when his opponent, uh, former President Trump, hears uh, climate change, he thinks hoax. When Biden hears it, he thinks jobs. Uh, not only are there many more jobs in the climate agenda, uh, and, and this will be more part of the Recovery Act that's coming later than the rescue plan, uh, but this is something where the market is already moving in this direction. And our plans, you know, think of uh, the announcement this week from uh, General Motors to move towards, uh, towards battery-powered vehicles. Uh, this is this is us really picking up and trying to amplify where the market is going anyway. And it, it's a walk and chew gum moment. I mean, this president won a decisive victory in part because of pledging to take such vital action on climate. And I firmly believe that this is a pro-growth plan. Uh, it also has to occur a, as we take the steps to finally get to a robust recovery when we can start building but our clean energy industries. Yes, so to Chris Wallace's uh, credit, he asked a hard question of the White House economist, whose name is Jared Bernstein, and uh, Jared had trouble answering. The next question, I'm not going to play because it'll take more time, but Chris followed up and said, but, but why would you do this? There are already so many Americans out of work, and in the interim, why would, you, why would you just suddenly decide this and put thousands of Americans out of a job and uh, why can't, I mean, when these other jobs are not ready, and Jared was even more stumbling in the second answer, uh, really, you, obviously, there is no good answer for that, yet they, you know, they tap dance very well. Well, just to let you know that you are, base, I need to, I need to explain to you in case you're newly listening, that President uh, Biden just last week stopped the development of the Keystone Pipeline, and thousands of people overnight were out of work. I could play you testimonies that would break your heart of what's happening, uh, losing their job without any kind of warning, and uh, now really, what do they have to look forward to? What kind of job can replace that? Well, Kamala Harris, the vice president, has she understands and she feels your pain, and uh, she comments on it. Here it is, clip one. 
So it's job creation around investing in American manufacturing, job creation in terms of investing in American infrastructure and building up, back up American infrastructure, job creation around, for example, all of those skilled workers who are in the coal industry and, and, and transferring those skills to what we need to do in terms of dealing with reclaiming abandoned um, uh, landmines. Yeah, so uh, Kamala, a couple of things we need to point out here. She is so knowledgeable about what's happening in the Keystone Pipeline and uh, the, the development of coals that she calls them landmines. Landmines, landmines. You do know the difference, right? You listening to me know that I could tell you a really funny joke about landmines, a really dark humor joke, but landmines are things that kill people that are planted in the ground by, uh, well, shall we use the word insurgents? Uh, to kill the enemy, but so we're not really dealing with landmines, but that's Kamala Harris's you know knowledge base on this subject, and she's telling all the people that worked on the Keystone Pipeline, of which I understand some of them are so highly skilled. There's like only 75 in the world who do some of these tasks, but you know what? You can just learn. That's your skills. You can just take those skills and go, you know, develop wind farms or. Uh, you know, solar panels, as though they're interchangeable, as though she could stop being an attorney and suddenly be a doctor. You know, so, um, but but they're, they're, the jobs are not here yet, but they're going to be, don't worry. And that's the kind of reassurance that this administration is giving people who are now becoming desperate. It really is a very sad thing to watch. Now, the impeachment, the second one, of President Donald Trump is going to take place a week from today. That's February the 9th. And they're actually thinking about calling that shaman, the guy in the furry hat with a bare chest who came into the congressional chambers as a witness. Oh, I, and as I said yesterday, um, in a, an article in which Russell Moore was quoted, uh, it, it, it inferred that he led prayer, so it does say he led prayer. And of course, the inference is that he's one of those Christian nationalists. The problem is, of course, the shaman is an environmental shamanist, and we have no idea what he believes. He's certainly not part of the mainstream Christian doctrine, but that's who they want to, that's who they want to choose uh, to, to highlight in order to discredit uh, the people that were concerned about what was happening inside that chamber on that day. All right, so the, the president, of course, has been charged with one account, and that is to inciting, uh, you know, an insurrection. That's not the exact words, but... They're blaming him on what happened in, in the, uh, the House and the Senate on that day in the Capitol. And, of course, I want to repeat because it's important information. Even the Washington Post printed the timeline. We know that President Trump was still speaking, spoke 30 minutes past the first incursion into the Capitol. He did not incite that. He did not encourage it. He told people to go there peacefully, so people walked over there after that. Uh, but the first people were there. They planned that a long time ago. Who were those people? Who were those people? That's what a lot of us want to know. The president has a new legal team because allegedly the story is that the first team, uh, the president wanted them to talk about the fraud of the voting, and they refused to do that. So he has a new team, David Shun and Bruce Castor, who gave some really strong statements. Uh, Shun said it is an honor to represent the 45th president, Donald J. Trump, and the United States Constitution. So that's going to be taking place. A week from today, maybe you'll get to see the shaman in his fur hat without uh, with Maybe they'll have him come just as he was dressed to, for effect. Uh, it'll be interesting. I don't think, uh, Lindsey Graham doesn't think it's either going to be a, an acquittal 
or uh, they will shut it down before then. I don't know what to think. No predictions on that, except it is true uh, that for both sides of the aisle, it will be politically harmful because it's a silly exercise. It's unconstitutional. It's obviously vitriolic. It's retribution. It's a bridge too far, and I think Democrats and Republicans alike feel that way. But then the left doesn't feel that way because they want to utterly destroy and uh, discredit Donald Trump even more, as though more should be done. But they think more should be done. So a week from today, that's going to take place. All right, so, uh, and by the way, in in some of the fallout from that Capitol um, occurrence on uh, January the 6th, the officer who shot uh, um, Ashley Babbitt, and let me remind you, Ashley Babbitt, we know now, served for more than a dozen years in the Air Force. She served in Iraq. Uh, she was with the National Guard. She was a passionate supporter of President Trump. She was do- she was killed by the Capitol Police officer. You saw that. Uh, she was uh, a, a someone broke through a window leading into, it was in the Speaker's lobby. Uh, others shouted, don't do that, don't do that. She did not listen, and she climbed up and was going to go through that window and uh, that's when someone from inside on the other side uh, shot her. It turns out it's a Capitol policeman. And now we know that he will not be charged. Uh, he will not be charged with anything. So uh, now the comment that I'm reading from uh, Wall Street Journal uh, says, um, the lieutenant whose police powers have been suspended is expected to return to his previous status, though he is afraid of being retaliated against by Trump supporters. I'm just mentioning that because you see it's everywhere, it's everywhere. Uh, why is he thinking about that? Doesn't he? I, I just don't understand why everything, including shootings and deaths, have to become political, whether it's of black persons or white persons or military or Trump supporters. Uh, I've heard uh, experts say that that was deadly force that was unnecessary. Uh, so, um, But nothing will be done. Uh, so anyway, um, that's Le- Ashley Babbitt, in case you wondered what had happened with that. Now, the gentleman who is a Black Lives Matter Antifa activist who was arrested, who was right there when Ashley was shot, uh, John Sullivan, he's known as the leader of the Insurgents USA group. He's now facing accusations of not complying with his terms of release. He was, rele- he was uh, released on January the 15th without bail. Went back to, I think it's uh, Utah someplace. I think he lives, yeah, he lives out in Utah. Uh, The DOJ said that Sullivan had been charged with one count of knowingly entering or remaining in any restricted building or grounds without lawful authority. Uh, One account of violent entry and disorderly conduct. One count of interfering with law enforcement. Anyway, so, but uh, we know about John that he, he is all in favor of revolution. He is on tape. If we had time, we would play it for you. Uh, inciting revolution, that's what he was doing. But he claims that day why he was just an observer, just there. The DOJ did not file the detention memo. They let John uh, get out, and he's been on— now he's been kind of messing around with his parole officer, I guess, and maybe he's in some kind of trouble, but we'll see how much trouble that is. Uh, He has a website called Insurgents USA, uh, and he says on his website that it was started in 2020 in response to the George Floyd tragedy. But uh, that's the whole website has been changed, and um, the Epic Times has uh, has captured what was there before it was changed. Up until January twenty third, the page read: "The lack of care for the hum- for human life was unacceptable, so we set out to end police brutality." 
Uh, we then set out to empower and uplift black and indigenous voices. And it goes on and on and on there. And then uh, now it's been changed to disavow, to disavow the organizations for which he appeared and worked with and supported Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Uh, he's uh, claiming now with this new website that Insurgent USA's mission is to provide you the truth. Uh, we are on the front lines giving you unedited raw footage, photos, and news of insurrection here in America, revealing the truth about Antifa and Black Lives Matter's communist plans to overthrow democracy. So John Sullivan has covered all of his bases, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Meanwhile, what, 300 and something uh, of uh, other people? I don't know who they are. I can't defend them all, but I know that some of them are just regular folks uh, who were went into the Capitol because they saw other people going in there. Uh, there's been an all-out Four points bulletin search for them. The FBI has made it clear this is a priority. We'll see what happens to them and what their circumstances are compared to John Sullivan, the Antifa Black Lives Matter uh, activist who was inciting, you know, violence. I wonder if anything will actually happen to him. There's a lot of news today and a lot of things that I hope to get to. I want to talk about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, if I can. She's the congresswoman from Georgia. They're trying to get her out. McConnell has distanced himself. He's called her a cancer on the GOP. And uh, Marjorie has spoken out in her own defense, and I want you to hear her words. I don't know anything about her other than her campaign ads when she was running. They're accusing her of being involved with QAnon uh, and other kinds of conspiracies. I don't know anything about that. Uh, I do think um, a lot of people a lot of people that I know and love have been involved in that um, and have asked me at various times if I believe this and that, and I don't. I think uh, the left, you have to understand, uses uh, these cons- these literal conspiracy theories uh, to distinguish from ones that are not conspiracy theories uh, to confuse otherwise honest people who are just trying to get their information from when, wherever they can get it and to make them actually look like fools. And I think a lot of people have fallen for this. Uh, and Marjorie looks like she had at one time. But when she speaks for herself, she explains it. And it makes sense to me. And I have to say, uh, the people of Georgia are the ones who should decide whether Marjorie Taylor Greene remains in that chamber or not. It's not up to Mitch McConnell. But, of course, that's what's been happening. The Republican Party have been controlling who runs, who wins, so that they have a grip on what they do. And, of course, what they do is... Nothing except enrich themselves. All right, coming up next, one of my favorites, uh, Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or more importantly, if you sign up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare, and MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing program It's been around for 25 years. They have more than 400,000 members now around the country. And get this, over the years, MediShare members have shared more than $2 billion of each other's medical bills, so they could help share your needs too. And best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is around 500 bucks a month. Your savings could be more or less, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, Think again. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. There's no pressure. They're super easy to talk to. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Rear Admiral Brendan McPherson, military advisor to the Secretary of Homeland Security. He provides counsel regarding policies, plans, and other affairs between the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Defense. Proverbs 12.15 reminds us of the importance of wise counsel. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Brendan McPherson in his work at Homeland Security. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Join us as we pray for God's guidance for the President and His administration as they begin their term. It's the 100 Days of Prayer. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Liberty University is more than just exceptional academic programs, NCAA athletics, and state-of-the-art facilities. They believe in training champions for Christ. They know that where academic excellence and unwavering faith meet, there is liberty. Explore their campus virtually and learn how you can train as a champion for Christ online or on campus by texting TODD to the number 49596. That's TODD to the number 49596. Matt Schlapp is the chairman of the American Conservative Union. His wife is Mercedes Schlapp, a former Trump administration official. They have five daughters. The other day, one of their neighbors slowly drove by their home, rolled down the window, and flipped off his little girls. He reportedly screamed profanities at his nine-year-old. The neighbor also accosted Mrs. Schlapp. Folks, that's not political discourse. That's intimidation. It sounds as if this lunatic neighbor was simply following the commands of Maxine Waters. She told her supporters to absolutely harass Trump staffers in supermarkets, restaurants, and gas stations. Conservatives should take whatever measures that are necessary and legal to protect their families from this unhinged mob. And if you don't think they're dangerous, just ask Senator Rand Paul. He was nearly killed by his neighbor. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Just talk about the task of coming in at this level in the midst of crisis and and what you imagine Ron Klain and and this White House staff is contending with. Well, they haven't walked into a mess. They've walked into a catastrophe. We're in the middle of one of the great catastrophes in American history. And so this is the sixth day of the Biden presidency. Um, And there is no president, um, with the possible exception of Lincoln at the edge of civil war, who has been dealt a tougher hand than this president because like Lincoln, um, and this stood until Trump became the president, Lincoln followed the worst president in American history, not named Trump. And so following the worst president means everywhere you look, there's disaster. That was Steve Schmidt, Steve Schmidt, former advisor to John McCain. Steve Schmidt, one of the founders of the Lincoln Project, which maybe we'll get to later because the Lincoln Project is scrambling after disgrace has come its way. And we'll get to that. But that was Steve Schmidt. That was one of the nicest things I think he said about President Trump. And the entire time I've heard him appear on MSNBC and CNN and wherever else he hangs out. Uh, But he describes what President Trump left Joe Biden as a catastrophe. 
And of course, Joe Biden is going to clean all of that up, I'm sure, Steve Schmidt thinks. Joining me is a former uh, part of the Trump administration, a great friend. Uh, he worked at Customs and Border Patrol, didn't work at it, he ran it. Uh, Ken Cuccinelli, of course, is a, in his real life as an attorney. He was uh, the attorney general for the state of Virginia, and he has done so many incredible things through the years and once again made his mark, from my perspective, in all that was happening at our borders. And so to watch all that unravel must be interesting. Ken Cuccinelli, good morning, and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sandy. Always a pleasure. Uh, Ken, before we even um, – well, no, let's do this first – your perspective on having worked for President Trump. Any regrets? Because there's certainly vitriol. There is hell to pay for having done that. So any regrets on your part? Well, I, I don't know if I would say that. I mean, we did good, important work. And, I mean, um, the <laughs> President Trump certainly had a unique way about going about it. But it's some of the best policy we've ever had. I mean, go back one year, just one year, pre-COVID, we hit the lowest poverty level in recorded history. Donald Trump's presidency was better for no one than the poor. Poor Americans, that is. Um, I mean, this administration seems pretty determined to be all it can be for poor people from the rest of the world, but Donald Trump was the best president for poor Americans ever, and that was a function of deregulation, which I think was the most important part. The tax cuts was the second most. And the third most important part was actually um, imp imposing law on the immigration space. And and even as much as we did, there were, it was still a truly, from a legal standpoint, a truly unruly area. But the people who were hurt the most and the worst by the kinds of flips in policy that you're referring to in the immigration space, are our own poor people. And, of course, they're disproportionately minority as well. So, you know, it, it's important for all of us to, to uh, not, of course, we want America to do well, but when you think about who needs to do well the most, our poor fellow citizens are should be at the top of our list, and they're clearly not at the top of the list of this new administration. You know, just an aside, last night uh, my husband and I were watching a documentary on Henry Ford, which is fascinating. It's, um, it's just fascinating. And one of the things that Henry Ford, the, the great developer of the Ford Automobile and one of the earlier developers of the automobile period, was that he cared. He was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, but he cared deeply about poor people and the average. Uh, that, and that made him very controversial and hated by a lot of other very, very wealthy people. And in history, as you hear the telling of him, he still is really resented and presented in a, a negative light by the elites. He reminded me of Donald Trump very much uh, because they were, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, had vision that beyond most humans. Uh, but their concern really was with the average guy. And uh, I just found that remarkable. Right. Uh, Ken, um, let's talk specifically. Well, Sandy, but before we yes. leave that, I'm yeah. sorry, before we leave that, because I think the point you made here is so important. The, the, if you were to boil down the most important thing in both domestic and foreign policy, um, the, the most significant positive aspect of Donald Trump's presidency that is repeatable by others if they're willing to do it, is what you just said, is focusing on what is best for ordinary people. It is not good for ordinary Americans 
to just toss troops all over the world. So Donald Trump brought them home. It is not good to be engaged in endless wars all over the world. Donald Trump brought peace. The only reason he's not getting the Nobel Peace Prize is <laughs> because of all of his other behavior. But, um, but in the domestic space, same thing. It's uh, The economics I just described are because he cares about ordinary people, and he, pull, he followed policies that benefit them. And if the Republican Party remains the party of the ordinary person, they will grow on such a steady pace. All, all these other side things will go away. But I'm sh- I won't speak for anybody else, but I wonder, given the other leaders of the Republican Party, if they care enough about ordinary people to keep that focus. Well... I think we both know the answer to that, Ken. Without and I, I, this morning I'm going to talk a little bit if I have a chance about uh, Mitch McConnell, my favorite theme. <laughs> I just I'm so put I'm so put I'm so angry with him, and of course he to me is the epitome of the tone deaf uh, Republican leader who really does all kinds of things to hurt normal people by inaction and by action. Uh, so, but I, I'm I'm totally with you. Um, I do one other thing about Henry Ford that the other multimillionaires of his time really hated him. And when he he established a five a dollar a day wage for his workers, they flipped out. They thought he was crazy, and they hated him because they didn't really want to uh, make the lives better of their employees. They they wanted to get rich, and that was their goal. And I think we're having we're up against the same human uh, greed. But uh, Ken, let's get yeah. specific here because you guys under. Now, I know that part of this you were over directly at the the, the wall. The wall, of course, was what you accomplished like five hundred miles of it, something like that. Uh, I, I think when we were all said and done, it was a little over four hundred and sixty. Okay, so a good and stretch. So, so that they've stopped building. He's a, that was one of the executive orders. But the wall, as it stands, yep. is it still a detriment? Is there? Anything, is it still effective, you think? Will it be? Oh, absolutely. Um, look, uh, that's a, almost a quarter of the border. It's like 22% of the border um, now has 18 or 30-foot wall. Um, that is an, and, and those heights were chosen for a reason. Um, it's quite an impediment. And the, the best test of that question, Sandy, is what are the Border Patrol agents responsible for those sectors think? They're over the moon about it. They, they know, and I have never heard any of them dissent from the idea that it makes them safer in doing their job and more effective. I mean, talk about efficiency in the law enforcement space, safer and more effective. I was going to ask you, and I will, uh, about the morale of the border, border agents in the, in the wake of these executive orders. Do you know anything about that? Well, I can imagine. I mean, um, you know, the incoming Secretary of Homeland Security famously said one time when he, when he was the Deputy Secretary in the Obama administration about the negative impact one thing or another they were planning on doing would have on the morale of um, the Border Patrol agents and the uh, OFO officers. And his immediate response was, their morale is of no moment to me. And... Um, that's a pretty, you know, for somebody who cares a lot about the people who keep us safe, not just um, keeping us safe, <laughs> that's a great concern to me. I, I think it's very unfortunate that Joe Biden has chosen 
Alejandro Mayorkas to be the next Secretary of Homeland Security because he just doesn't care about the people that work in that department um, like he should. Uh, it's the largest collection of law enforcement officers in the whole country, and um, and I don't think he brings an attitude of respect for them or their work that's really critical to lead um, an organization and a set of organizations like that. It's very sad. It is very sad. It's, it's like a gut punch. It's a gut punch. And uh, I just heard yesterday that uh, Joe Biden wants to send millions of dollars to Mexico and those Central American comp- countries uh, that people are um, flooding out of once again and flooding to our borders. Uh, and so, and meanwhile, uh, spending America into oblivion, that's a whole other issue. Ken, let me ask you this. I, we, you and I could talk forever. I've got a million questions about the border, but there's another issue that I really want your perspective on. We, you were part of the, uh, of the broader uh, scope of Homeland Security. Yours was border and, uh, Customs and Border Patrol, uh, but you, worked, uh, you were yeah. right up there at the top of the Department of Homeland Security. You know about the new orders. You know about the um, – uh, in fact, I'm going to read a part of this, and if I could get your comments on this. This is part of it. Sure. Violent riots have continued in recent days, and we remain concerned that individuals frustrated with the exercise of governmental authority and the presidential transition, as well as other perceived grievances and ideological causes fueled by false narratives – could continue to mobilize a broad range of ideologically motivated actors to incite or commit violence. And based on this, there's like a free reign now. And I've seen, and this is not just Homeland Security, it's the FBI. They've been arresting people all over the country. Uh, And I have no comment about whether they should or not. It's just, what do you think in general about what Homeland Security and the others are uh, trying to accomplish? Well, that that um, announcement you read um, it was rejected by uh, Secretary Acting Secretary Gaynor as he was the last Homeland Security Secretary under Trump. And because the, the reason for those announcements, um, it's a bulletin, is to give the American people information about a threat. There is not a single thing in that bulletin that was new and it was used to politicize the situation in the same way Speaker Pelosi wanted 5,000 more National Guard before the inauguration. Um, she wants to create a visual narrative that the right of center people, if you voted for Trump, you are a threat. That's the narrative they're building right now. And um, with no, when I left, so I don't have access to the intelligence any longer, but with no specific intelligence, none, Zero. And we said that publicly of any threat. Um, what you read, Sandy, is our preferred worry. That's what it is. Um, it, is the, it is the most severe politicization of law enforcement and national security personnel that I have ever seen uh, on this kind of speed and scale. It's also the explanation for keeping National Guardsmen in Washington, D.C. longer. When I left on January 19th, they were not needed. Um, And there was no point in time when ramping up the National Guard was needed to keep the inauguration safe. Um, As you might imagine, those are always well-secured events run by the Secret Service. That was no exception this year. Um, And January 6th, while it certainly um, shocked some people, and and it should have, 
um, it didn't change the security assessment for the inauguration or beyond. And they're, you know, using it for political purposes. And I might just say on the law enforcement side, it's, I, I am perfectly happy to see people who are violent in any event arrested and prosecuted. I think it ought to be uh, a zero-tolerance policy across America. But let's not kid ourselves. Over the course of the year since last May, since the um, sad killing of George Floyd, it, it, large swaths of our society on the left have said violence is okay, sometimes as part of protest. And we need to say it is never okay. We need to get them to say it is never okay. Some of them are suddenly seeing the light, as I'm sure you've noticed. But we created an environment in this country where violence as part of protest seemed from some people to be okay. And then they were surprised, nay, shocked, that some people were violent as part of protest as they had been doing since last May. What you read could have described Portland, Oregon, except for the presidential uh, transition. And, uh, it's, it is, uh, it's really breathtaking what's happening. It's frightening, actually, what's happening, Ken. Uh, you guys, let me hold the break for five minutes, please. It's just If you can stay with me five more minutes, Ken, that would be great. And sure. I'm assuming you will. Uh, so... Um, yeah, it's pretty frightening. I was just talking to my audience yesterday. You know, they managed to, and they needed to, destroy Trump because I always say that he was an unrighteous man with a righteous cause. He stood for some great things, and he did wonderful things for this country, wonderful protections for normal people, as we've just said. Uh, and uh, he loved the country, loved the history of it, and that's the, the opposite. That's like the that's like cross before Dracula to the left. And so he had to be destroyed. So now anyone who supports him, that's the, the you know, the January 6th incident was a perfect opportunity, perhaps manufactured, to do that. Now the next thing, Ken, is they're going after Christians specifically, calling us Christian nationalists. Those of us that participated or were there to support President Trump on that day are Christian nationalists who now must be targeted. It's getting more personal and more frightening, I think. I did, not, did you hear that Nicole Wallace on MSNBC was talking about using drones like we did on Islamic terrorists uh, against American citizens? Well, she said that they, on MSNBC. You know, tyrants, look, it, it is, a lot of people have a hard time believing it, but there are a lot of people on the left who are truly tyrannical, and I include the use of force and violence in that. Um, and, and, and frankly, you know, you look, look at Portland, the people still rioting there don't see that in your paper anymore. Do you, um, still rioting out there? think the Biden administration is too soft and too far to the right. I mean, what, you know, understand what makes up what, what we think of as the Democrat party these days, the base is very radical. I mean, they are truly violent communists and they're using these Alinskyite tactics to the appearance of the National Guard, the arrests, and so forth. And let's not kid ourselves. Um, people who were involved in January 6th, who support President Trump, never did anything to undermine him more than, the, than they did on that day. Um, and, um, and, and it will forever be indirectly used to tarnish the exceptional policy legacy of the president. And that's just human nature. And uh, as you note, they're already doing it, um, and, um, and, and, and we have to sort of press through this phase um, and uh, fully expect 
Republicans to retake the House and Senate in two years, but two years is a long time, and they can do a lot of damage in that time. Oh, that's for sure. I guess I view that uh, January 6th as kind of a crystal knocked moment or a Reichstag burning moment. I really do, Ken. I, I, uh, I, I, think, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, probably were Trump supporters, did a lot of stuff they shouldn't have done. I'm, I would never say that. But I think the vast majority of people who went into that Capitol just were just didn't have any. They were they were going through there, you know, looking in the what statuary hall, looking at all the statues, and the the the, the, the uh, Capitol police were watching them, opening doors for them. So it's really a twisted situation and not clear. And I think it's a very useful tool for the left to come after uh, Trump supporters. No question about it. Ken, you just started yesterday at Heritage Foundation. And I, would, I don't know what your position is or what you'll be doing. Can you tell us? <laughs> I'm a visiting fellow there. I'm going to be working on immigration and national security. I'll be dealing with um, a lot of these same questions you and I have talked about on immigration, uh, writing on it. I intend to write on the importance to poor people in America of Trump immigration policies and how they benefited. Uh, also, I'm going to continue uh, to speak and write about China and the threat China poses, Mm -hmm. and um, everything we have done thus far to confront them. Um, I congratulated Mike Pompeo um, on getting the Department of State to the point of pointing out that what they're doing in in the Xinjiang province in northwest China fills all six legal requirements under American law uh, for genocide. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, let's, let's put... Let's put this evil empire in context. Um, they're nothing like anything we've ever faced before. They are very strategic. They're very smart. They're very patient. They are built on a strong economic base, unlike the Soviet Union. And, um, and we're going to be facing off with them for the rest of our lives and beyond. And um, one thing we didn't do in the Trump administration, we didn't lay out what's the positive outcome on China. And I'm going to do some writing about that. It's very simple. It is another Asian democracy like South Korea or Japan. It's a freely governed people. The Chinese people are a great people, have been for over 3,000 years. They're very entrepreneurial. They're, they're forced to be reckoned with. But um, led by atheist evil people who are communists, um, that is a lot of power to turn to no good versus being able to have them participate as free and independent people uh, in the world Uh, in the world community, which is really what our goal ought to be. You know, I totally agree with you on the Chinese people, Ken. I've been to China several times and have such wonderful friends there. But, of course, uh, the Chinese are targeting their own wonderful people and killing them and eliminating them. They did during COVID. Uh, You know, they are such a brutal regime, and I think that's been lost in the, you know, just think, look at the cheap goods we're getting, and uh, we have this wonderful new trade partner, and we lost sight of who they really were. And uh, any, anything you can contribute to, to waking people up on that would be a great contribution. Ken, it's so nice to talk to you again, and welcome back to Civilian Life. Uh, and I, I hope we can uh, <laughs> chat you. often. So grateful that Heritage took you on. They're lucky to have you. And so uh, we'll talk again soon, okay? Wait. Okay. Very nice uh, of you to say. Good to be with yeah, you. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Sandy. Thank you, Ken. All right. Well, coming up next, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
You can tell it's getting close to Easter when you start seeing Cadbury's cream eggs everywhere, but your taste buds may get turned off by their latest promotional idea. In a commercial called Cream Egg Golden Goobly, different ways to eat a Cadbury cream egg are shown, including two grown men sharing one of the eggs in a highly offensive way for kids or adults. Sign the pledge to let Cadbury know you won't support their immorality with your money. Just go to AFA.net. That's AFA.net. Listen to Don. Join in every week. Dr. Greg Smalley of Focus on the Family. Listen to the wisdom this man gives and emulate that. Don, you do that so well. I definitely have learned over 20 plus years that we've been doing radio together. Mm. So many things from you. So find a guy that you look up to and just start learning. Encouragement Live with Don Hawkins. Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 Eastern. Here on American Family Radio. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to a recent study published by the Christian Post, 76.3% of all abortions are obtained by, quote, God-fearing women, unquote, with 68.7% who identified themselves as Christian women and 18% of all abortions obtained by self-described born-again or evangelical women. A corresponding CareNet study found that many women with unplanned pregnancies go silently from the church pew to the abortion clinic, convinced the church would gossip rather than help. America's greatest need is repentance. When the hearts of the American people turn to God, everything else will be impacted. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. The media has fawned over Joe Biden, calling him, as Wolf Blitzer said, a religious man of deep faith. But is he a devout Catholic? As Cal Thomas says, how can one be devout about one's faith and not comport with Scripture and the teachings of the Catholic Church? One retired archbishop says Biden's views on abortion and homosexuality are so at odds with the teaching of the Church, quote, he should not receive communion. The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops said, quote, It is deeply disturbing and tragic that any president would praise and commit to codifying a Supreme Court ruling that denies unborn children their most basic human and civil right, the right to life. His views, they said, would advance moral evils and threaten human life and dignity. Joe Biden, a devout Catholic, the facts say no. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. On Sunday, CBS News 60 Minutes program warned the Chinese Communist Party is hoovering up our DNA and other personal medical data. By some estimates, 80% of us have already had such information ripped off by PRC companies that are obliged to share it with their government. China expert Gordon Chang warns that the CCP is pursuing biological techniques tailored to attack ethnic groups. The U.S. State Department says Beijing's mass incarceration and oppression of Uyghur Muslims in western China amounts to genocide. The next step may be their mass extermination using genetically engineered viruses. In the early 2000s, moreover, China's then defense minister told party cadre that the CCP has a plan to depopulate the United States and colonize it with Han Chinese. Access to our medical data could be a critical element of realizing that horrific ambition. This is Frank Gaffney. 
Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Grace Mayo, Norman Bernal, Anthony M. Hopkins, William Purcell, Tommy. In six months, COVID-19 has killed more Americans than any disease in 100 years. Donald Trump lied about it, rejected science, and still has no plan to save Americans. Now, Donald Trump has COVID. His White House, his campaign. Gregory Armstrong. COVID-19 doesn't care about elections. It spreads. It kills. Over 180,000 Americans over age 60 have died. More each day. But this election is the only way we can protect ourselves. Nick Cordero. Donald Trump will never have a plan. Joe Biden does. It's simple. To save Americans, we must change presidents. On November 3rd, vote like your life depends on it. Dr. Ricardo Castaneda, Ronald Lewis, Daniel and Valerie. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That is uh, Lincoln Project. Lincoln Project. Okay, so Lincoln Project, uh, you've heard about it a lot from me, maybe not so that you could even repeat it, but I'll tell you. It's a group of uh, so-called Republicans. One of them is Kellyanne Conway's husband, George, who has spewed his vitriol so disrespectfully to his wife during the tenure of Donald Trump in the White House when Kellyanne was working right there with the president, uh, George was, he said he was, he just unleashed venom. And so did Steve Schmidt. Steve is a former campaign advisor for uh, John McCain. You've heard me play his stuff often because he's just, it's like poison. It is just like poison. Well, there was another person, uh, I don't know, Everyone involved in Lincoln Project, but one of the co-founders, along with George Conway, was a guy named John Weaver. So John Weaver also uh, was a, a former, or a Repu- not a former, they're Republicans. And that ad, of course, is, uh, you know, once Trump, Trump is the worst thing that ever breathed or walked, uh, and uh, Joe Biden is the answer to all mankind. Well, so the story broke last week that John Weaver has been, uh, let's say, a sexual predator especially to young men, some of them like as young as 14, uh, that in the process of hiring them for jobs, he would uh, do kinds of things I probably can't repeat. And so uh, the story broke. It was broken actually back in uh, January the 11th. That's what, that's however long ago that is, not even a month. Ryan Gadurski broke that story. Ryan is a former uh, political, uh, I think he's been in, uh, I got to make sure this is true. Ryan was in, he was a political, oh, what do you call that, um, advisor for a number of years. And so he knows that this thing about John Weaver was the worst kept secret. It's what he described it. The worst kept secret. He's been in 15 years as a political consultant. So he's the one that broke this story. He also uh, reached out to Lincoln Project members as last August to tell him what, them what he knew about John Weaver. And uh, so what's their response to this? First of all, when Ryan Gadursky broke the story, they were silent. The Lincoln Project was absolutely silent. But then suddenly, the New York Times wrote a story about that. And so suddenly, the Lincoln Project came out with some statement about how um, John Weaver led a secret life that was built on a foundation of deception. He's a predator. We extend our deepest sympathies. We are disgusted. Uh, We didn't know anything about it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. 
And if you don't believe their denials, well, listen to George Conway. He was on in an interview and asked about it, and this is what this is Kellyanne's husband. This is what he had to say, clip nine. Thanks for being on this morning. I'd be remiss uh, not to ask you about uh, the story about John Weaver, who is a founding member of the Lincoln Project, 21 men accusing him of online harassment. Your organization has a pretty clear statement on this kind of harassment, um, but wanted to ask you directly about this issue. Yeah, it's it's terrible and awful and appalling and unfathomable. I I I didn't know John very well. I frankly only spoke to him a couple of times on the phone early on in the Lincoln Project. Um, I just I, I it's almost I don't know even know what to say. It's just it's just terrible. And um, I, I, I it leaves me speechless, frankly. Yeah, might might leave him speechless because he's lying. He didn't know him very well, but he just wrote a, a op-ed with him in the New York Times, uh, published December 2019, headlined, "We are Republicans and we want Trump defeated." That would be George Conway and uh, John Weaver, uh, the guy that they knew nothing about, who Ryan Gudorski Gudorski uh, warned them about last August, and maybe they knew before. He said. That it was the worst kept secret in uh, political circles, but they didn't know. They had no idea. They're shocked, shocked, and they weren't shocked until the New York Times wrote about it. And so, um, I wanted you to know about that story. There is a great, uh, a, uh, one of the best stories on this is. Um, we'll put. I, I don't see the outlet. I can't remember right off my hand, but it's a Lincoln Project predator. What did they know, and when did they know it? We will find it uh, and put it on our Facebook page. And, yes, I'm, <laughs> our days on Facebook are numbered, but just be patient with me. Uh, the Link, Lincoln Project Predator, what did they know, and when did they know it? It really is a fascinating story. By the way, John Weaver uh, was a campaign advisor to John Kasich in 2016 in his uh, presidential campaign. And, John, you know, uh, all I can say about that, I don't know anything about it. The only thing is just from an observer, John was really soft. He, he was had been, has been long ago, really solid conservative, good on family values, on marriage, and suddenly he wasn't. So um, John Weaver was one of his advisors. And I don't know what that's about, but it's all just things I do know for a fact. All right, I want to talk about one other thing. Oh, I got to quickly do this. You may remember that um, Dr. Fauci, Anthony, the expert, the uh, you know the guru of COVID, uh, said this uh, in twenty, I believe it was twenty twenty. Let's listen. This is clip five. There's a lot of confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important for someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. 
And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside okay, there? Okay, I'm going to interrupt because we're running out of time, but you get the point. In fact, we should put that back on our Facebook page. We have several times. It'll probably be removed. But put it on there again. And so what? Last week, Dr. Fauci is telling everyone to wear two masks. You need to wear two masks. You could even wear three masks, he told us. And then we have a clip, which I don't have time to play, where he's changing his mind on that and saying, you don't need to wear two masks. So there's Dr. Fauci, the resident expert. Certainly Joe Biden has chosen him to, uh, again, be the centerpiece of his COVID uh, plan. But I want to bring this to your attention because this is a really important article written by Daniel Horowitz. Uh, Norwegian study shows very little transmission in school without masks as suicide crisis intensifies. Shutting down schools or forcing kids to wear masks, either one is likely the greatest crime ever committed against children under the most false pretenses imaginable. New research continues to show that schools are not drivers of spread, not to mention the fact that the virus is not dangerous to children. Meanwhile, children continue to commit suicide in record numbers. This is the evil cost of adult virtue signaling. That may be one of the most brilliant statements Daniel ever wrote. I want to read it again. This is the evil cost of adult virtue signaling. He goes through then and talks about this Norwegian a study about school children and how masks have no effect whatsoever. They don't get the virus. It's rare that they do. Teachers rarely get the virus. The fact that they are in more danger is an absolute lie. And he also talks about all the suicides that are happening around the country and around the globe. Uh, so we, we're going to put this on our Facebook page. Norwegian study shows very little transmission in schools without masks as suicide crisis intensifies. If anything hurts me... It's just the notion. Uh, when people ask me why I don't wear a mask, my goal is to concisely tell them because wearing one is killing people. Wearing one is causing real death. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.